Psalm uh, chapter 1, but uh, it's going to be a, a little bit before we actually get to our text, because um, today we're going to spend uh, uh, some time by way of introduction into the Psalms. I don't know if you guys uh, knew this or not, there's 1,189 chapters in the Bible. You guys knew that, right? And uh, what we're going to study tonight is probably one of the greatest chapters in the whole Bible. But before we get there, um, as we're going to go into this section of Scripture, which I think is one of the most important uh, sections in the whole Bible, I think it would be good to just kind of share some things, prepare the, the soil, give you an introduction as, as exactly what the Psalms are. That way, as we go through them, and we'll probably cover you know, at times four uh, chapters, uh, and then we'll slow down in some of the bigger chapters, but we're going to make our way through this. Uh, it might take us a year, but um, by the time we're done, we will not be the same. If we come and we study this book and we have an open heart, and then for the rest of our lives, we read through these Psalms, I'm telling you what, we're going to be people that are different, you know. So we need to know a little bit about the introduction to the Psalms. A lot of you know it was the hymn book for the nation of Israel, and it was also the hymn book for the church in its early days. They would actually sing these songs. And so it's kind of interesting to keep that in mind. I don't know if you do when you're reading them, but as you're uh, studying the Psalms, uh, it was originally set to music. So it's not just scripture, it's also songs. As a matter of fact, our English word psalm, it comes from a word that means a song sung to the accompaniment of a plucked instrument. And so uh, when, I, when I think of uh, this chapters, I don't know if you guys approach it that way, but these are songs to be sung instead of just read, you know. And, and you might wonder, well, why? Why is that important? Well, I think it might be a little important because uh, when you think about it, you know, God wants to use the, the powerful instrument of music in order that they would be able to retain these messages, right? You guys know that God uses music, that music is an instrument by which we can remember things. I, I don't know how old I was, but I'm sure I was a little boy when I learned my ABCs. And when I learned my ABCs, I learned them through a song, right? Do you guys remember that song? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, B, C, we learn. <laughs> this beautiful little girl right here is singing the song. You know, you, you, you learn through music. And so what God was trying to do in the Psalms is, is he was taking these messages and he was putting music to them and he was inspiring them so that they would be burned in our hearts. That's what the Psalms are. That's how important they are. That's why, you know, when you really start growing in the Lord, I think you really start growing in the Psalms. I mean, we read through the Bible every year, but you read, I think, a proverb every day, and I think that you're going to read a lot of Psalms. Uh, for me, what the Lord's always been showing me is I want you to get into the Psalms at night before you go to bed. And so... A cool book. Um, I think that we need to keep these things in mind that God put these words to music because he wanted us to remember them. You see, these songs uh, are about God. They're used to teach us the truths of God. They made their way into the word of God because it turns out that all 150 of them were inspired by God. And so... 
You know, it's a hymn book, H-Y-M-N, right? But it's also a, a hymn book, right? H-I-M. It's all about him given to us so that we can know the Lord even more. And so you guys know about David, right? You guys know a little bit about David. Some of you here do. He was uh, a guy who had a real deep, a deep and intimate and personal relationship with God. You know, on a lot of these psalms, he probably wrote when he was out there in the shepherd's field and just looking up at the stars and watching over the sheep. And, you know, maybe it was cold. I'm not sure, you know, on all the settings. But it was just him and God. You know, and as he's there and with this relationship with God, which I think is the key to life, then he wrote these psalms. And so I think and I believe with all my heart that as you really learn these psalms and as you dive into them and as you study them and as you're open to them and the power they have by God to use them in our life, then we we will kind of have a relationship like David did, that sweet psalmist of Israel, the, the man who slew Goliath. The king of Israel, the man, the Bible says in Acts 13, 22, had a heart after God's own heart. He wasn't a perfect man, but man, he was a picture of Christ. And so when you get into these Psalms, I think God's going to start doing a a deeper work in our life. And I, I know, I have a feeling you guys are in the same place that I'm at. Lord, that's what I want. I want just to go deep. I want you to move. I want you to move in me. I want to grow, Lord, so much. And so, Lord, as we study this book together, please uh, teach us. And so these psalms are inspired by God, but we know he did use human vessels to write them. And so that helps us not only as we're reading to understand it was written by David or Asaph, but it also helps us to understand the Bible as a whole because we get to the, the behind-the-scenes looks at some of the history of the Bible. And so David is the chief contributor to the Psalms. Uh, we're not sure exactly. They say he wrote maybe around 73 Psalms, maybe a 77. Asaph wrote 17, a Korah 10, two by Solomon, and then Moses, Haman, and Ethan, they wrote one. There's also the anonymous psalms. Uh, there's those psalms, they call them the orphanic or orphan psalms. We don't know who their parents are. We don't know who wrote them. The, tonight, we're going to look at one of those psalms, Psalm 1. And uh, to me, I'll, I'll be honest with you, man, and I, I know I'm stepping out on a limb here, but I think Jesus wrote it. Psalm 1. You know, because when the Sermon on the Mount, do you remember how he started off the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are. Remember, and he gave the Beatitudes, blessed are. And it says he opened his mouth and he taught them, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall. And you know, you look at that, and, and I just, I visualize Jesus reading, you know, giving us the first psalm, blessed is the man who walks not in the, Council of the ungodly. So, you know, I mean, it's cool to know David or Korah or Asaph or, you know, Moses, you know, but, but at the end of the day, I think it's more important to know that God wrote these Psalms, and I'm just, I'll bet you guys a, a little Caesar's pizza, man, that, that, <laughs> that Jesus wrote the first Psalm. And I just, it's just a special chapter that we're going to look at. Uh, tonight, and we're going to see as we study through the book of Psalms, it actually consists of five books, uh, and so we'll see when we come to the end of each of those sections, it has like an amen and an amen, and so it's kind of cool, 
And so more than likely what happened is that Ezra, tradition tells us that Ezra is the one who put them all together in their final format that we have today with 150 psalms that we have. And so, you know, when you read the psalms, it's kind of cool. The content of it is wide in its spectrum. It covers the full range of human emotions and experiences in a very practical way. And so, in one sense, that tells us that no matter where you're at tonight, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you'll face tomorrow, that you can bet that your situation, the principle of what you're going through, is somehow, somewhere, dealt with in the Psalms. And that's why I do encourage you, especially if you get down, especially if you get bummed out. You know, and when we do, we get hit hard, man. I encourage you to read uh, through the Psalms uh, every night because it, it covers everything. The, you know, uh, if you're down or depressed, if you're distressed, the good to read in the morning, maybe in the evening, all the days of your life because it's kind of cool also. They're not just songs that we can sing. They're also prayers that we can pray. And if you're here tonight and maybe your prayer life has been rather anemic or you need a tune-up in your prayer life, i tell you what, you can pray a lot of these psalms and you're praying from the heart. You're praying scripture, you know. Maybe you're here tonight and you just want to draw near to God. I just want to draw near. Maybe you're here and you have fears. Whatever it might be, they say the book of Psalms is the book of calms and it has the power to settle our soul. And that's what we need, you know. Uh, uh, the world has a way of making us uh, anxious and busy and we fret and we're worried and we're walking around, you know, with, you know, like a chicken little man and we're bouncing off the walls. And, and when that happens in your life, there's no direction. You have no direction because you're too busy to listen to the Lord. But when, you know, you begin to settle down and then when you begin to, you know, find that, that calmness that only God can provide, and then it's, it, I think it's the Lord really begins to work in you and he begins to lead and guide your life. And I think that's exactly what we need. You know, when you look at the book of Psalms, everything is here from joy, you know, to judgment. And uh, we're going to see especially Jesus as you go through the Psalms. You know, because if you think about it, for example, Psalm 22, you can read the account in all the Gospels where Jesus died, but it's only in Psalm 22 when you really hear what's going on in his heart. And that's why it's kind of cool to be able to read the Psalms and you're going to see, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ in so many of the Psalms. Not only do you have the 16 that are explicitly messianic in nature, but you have the other passages throughout the Psalms that point to Jesus as well. You know, if you remember, Jesus even told the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, in verse 44, he said, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And so it's a blessing. You know, I don't know if some of you hear why you came you know, maybe someone said, hey, if you come tonight, I'll take you to In-N-Out. Or maybe you came tonight because you wanted to watch a skit. Or maybe there's some of you here that, you know, Thursday nights is your regular routine. There might be even a few of you here that are here to learn the Psalms. And I think that's really cool. 
I think God will honor that. And I'm excited about it myself because I've never taught through the Psalms. And so pray for me that I'll be able to just go at the pace that the Lord wants. You know, I went up to one of the prominent Calvary Chapel pastors at the conference we had recently, and I asked him, I said, well, you know, what's, give me some advice on teaching through the Psalms, you know, because... You know, I mean, I just, you know, want to kind of get through, not, don't, not take 10 years to do it, but at the same time, I want to just draw everything that I can out. And, you know, he gave me some advice, and it was so funny. Here's a prominent Calvary Chapel pastor, and I said, well, what did you do when you, when you taught the Psalms? And you know what he said? I never have. I've never taught through them. And I said, man, good thing Chuck's not here. I would have told him <laughs> on you, man. <laughs> For us, you know, we have a conviction of teaching through the Bible. Um, that's what Pastor Chuck gave to us, and I think that's how we're going to grow. And so um, we're going to teach through it. And uh, there's a lot I can say by way of introduction. I was thinking about this. There's so many things that we can lay down uh, in the forefront, but um, I, I think we need to get started here. Um, I have some quotes I'm going to go over real quick because I can see we're already running out of time. Matthew Henry said, We have now before us one of the choicest parts of the Old Testament, the Psalms, wherein there's so much of Christ and his gospel as well as of God and the law that has been called the summary of both Testaments. And so, you guys know Matthew Henry, great, you know, Christian man? He said, like, the whole Bible is in the Psalms. That's how awesome it is. Martin Luther said the same thing. He said, The Psalms are a little Bible wherein everything contained in the entire Bible is beautifully and briefly comprehended. So, you know, a, a lot of you here, you read the Proverbs every day, and I think you learn it, and, you, and it becomes a part of you. Now we've got to make the Psalms a part of us and know it well, because the whole Bible's there. You know, one guy, C. John Collins, he said, the Psalms do not simply express emotions. When sung in faith, they actually shape the emotions of the godly. And so you're going to see in the Psalms, David is honest. He's like, Lord, I'm having a terrible day today. Lord, I hate those guys. Lord, can you just break their face, you know? I mean, he's being honest with them. So you're going to see their emotions, but not just seeing them expressed, but you're going to see the opportunity for those emotions to be shaped Ray Steadman, he said the same thing. The Psalms are much more than poetry. Many of them bear the title uh, maskil or, or teaching. If you have a New King James, it says contemplation. And so there's 13 Psalms that are, are titled maskils, they're teachings. And so they're intended to instruct the mind as well into, as in to encourage the heart. They are designed not only to reflect the mood, but to show us also how to handle that mood and how to escape from depression. A lot of people suffer from depression nowadays, anxiety, fears. They don't even want to get out of the house sometimes. What's the best thing you can give them? Medication? No way. Tell them to read the Bible. And tell them especially to read the Psalms. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, the most valuable thing the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God which made David dance. You guys remember when David danced? You guys remember that? He twirled about and he danced with all his might. I, I don't have any rhythm. I don't know if I could ever do that. But, you know, I was thinking about that. Isn't that cool? Like going through the Psalms and, and then coming to a place where we could sing, sing from our heart. You guys, we're, we're working our way towards there. But imagine if we came to a place where we would 
dance. That's David. He danced with all his might. And I'm not saying we got to, you know, be a church rolling in the aisles or anything like that. But maybe a little bit, you know. Maybe out here. In the, I mean, just, man, this is what God wants to do as we study the Psalms together. And so let's open up to Psalm 1. As we see three sections tonight, the godly man, the ungodly man, and God and man. So we read in Psalm 1, it says in verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. But the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. How many of you here want to be blessed? Just out of curiosity, man. I mean, you should all want to be blessed. I mean, God wants to bless your life. And I know we don't feel worthy, and we're not. We never will be. But man, the blessings of God is when he opens up the heavens and he rains down things upon your life that you would have never thought. He provides for you in ways that are unorthodox. And he provides for you supernaturally when God blesses his people. And he, and he, know, he gives you joy and love and peace and wisdom in your marriage. Oh man, your marriage will never be the same when God blesses your marriage, your life, your kids. We need the blessings of God. And he wants to give them to us. And you might wonder, well, how do we get the blessings of God? Because I tell you what, that's what I need. I've been living too long with what man can provide. I want the blessings of God. And this is it right here. This is how we are going to receive those blessings where God opens the windows of heaven and rains thing down, things down on your life that are, that are not from the world. They're from God. And we need it. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the wisdom that he provides. We need the Lord to come in. And so this is how we do this. Uh, blessed is the man. And we're going to see, first of all, the negative and, and then the positive. And it's so cool. We see, first of all, what he doesn't do. If you want to be blessed, look what it says right here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And basically what we see right here as we read a little bit between the lines is a sad and tragic picture of someone who goes in the wrong direction. You know, it starts by listening to the counsel of the culture, the truths that the television might spew out, the lies of the land, which really are, at the end of the day, lies of Lucifer, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're walking in the counsel of the ungodly, and rather than receiving one's guidance from God and his word, they ask sometimes, or they're open to the advice and counsel of non-believers. And they might have good intentions, and that non-believer, I'm not saying they don't care for you, but if they don't know the Lord, then they don't know the word. And sometimes even Christians don't know the word, and they will not give you godly counsel. That's why it's so important that 
we know the word. And, and, you know, when you're giving counsel, that you give scripture and verse. You know, because we got to be careful that we don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You know, they'll tell you to get an abortion when God wants to bless you with a child. Or they'll tell you to be open-minded and experiment with your sexual identity. You know, when God made you a man or a woman and he says embrace it, you know, they, they'll say it's okay to have sex before marriage as long as you love each other. They'll say it's okay to self-medicate because, you know, you're going through hard times. There's nothing wrong with getting high or getting drunk. As God is saying, you don't, you don't need that temporary fix. You need me to mend your heart. You know, I go back to that guy in Nepal. I was just tripping out on him out every day. He was hurting so bad that every day he would go to the witch doctor. And the witch doctor would help him that night. But then he had to do it again every single day of his life until he came to Christ. And that's what drugs are. That's what alcohol is. You know, they they run because they try to mask the pain. And when God is saying, no, you know, that's just a temporary fix. It's just a an aspirin of some sort. It doesn't fix anything. It doesn't help. It doesn't heal. Only I do. But that's the counsel of the ungodly. We really have to guard ourselves against the counsel of the ungodly. It can happen in so many ways. It can even happen to the believers. Uh, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 1 and 2 Uh, Isaiah said, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord. They're children. Woe to the rebellious children who take counsel but not of me and who devise plans but not of my spirit that they may add sin to sin who walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. No, the man who's blessed refuses is not open to the counsel of the ungodly because he knows he shouldn't be there and he knows that if he does, he might find himself one day standing in the path of sinners. And what that means is now he's making a stand for their sin, defending their right to be in their depravity. And then before you know it, he's sitting in the seat of the scornful. That's someone in the position of authority on the other side, not only fighting for their sin, but indulging it themselves. It all, it all started by someone not guarding themselves from the counsel of the ungodly. You know, we see the negative, what this guy avoids, But then we see the positive there in verse 2. It says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. I'll tell you what, man. It is not complicated. It is not sophisticated. You don't need a degree from a seminary to, to learn how you're supposed to be blessed Man, all you have to do is open up this book. For me, it means turning off the television. It means, you know, getting off the the internet, you know, checking all the basketball scores. That's what it means for me. It means, you know, not doing those things that are an absolute waste of time. And it means just opening up the book. Opening up this book and saying, Lord, speak to my heart. 
All of us here can do that. If you don't have a Bible, tell us. We'll give you a Bible. We won't give you a leather one, but we'll give you a Bible. Maybe we'll get you a leather one. We'll get your name on there. I mean, it doesn't matter, but, you know, that's how easy it is. You know, you open up the book, and here we see, first of all, the truth and then the tree. I mean, this guy delights in the law of the Lord, and therefore he meditates in the law of the Lord. If you're not meditating on it, then you're not delighting it. The word delight, it speaks of pleasure and it speaks of longing. F.B. Myers said it's not enough to read the Bible as a duty. We must come to it with delight. If you delight in the word of God, then you will be blessed. If you don't, then you won't. If you delight in the word of God, you know, you long for it, you hunger for it. I can't wait to open up this book and meet with God so that he can speak to me so that my heart might burn and then my family might be blessed. That's what happens. I mean, is that us? You know, it's interesting to me that the Psalms, you know, this beautiful book, it starts off like this, rooted in God's word and And we're going to read the other wonderful psalms about God's word as we go through this book, including the longest chapter in the Bible, right? 176 verses in Psalm 119. It's all about the word of God. Every single uh, verse uh, has a reference to the word, you know. We're going to see Psalm 119, 16. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. In Psalm 119, 35, make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. And, and why do you delight in it? You know, why do you like this so much? Why are you drawn to it so much? The only way you can really be drawn to it is if you have really experienced God speaking to you. You know, and I, that's what happens. You know, for me, I get my cup of coffee in the morning, uh, sometimes evening, you know, sometimes noon. I'm so blessed to be able to study the Bible. And then, you know, when God speaks to me, you know, it just, you fall in love. Mike McIntosh, he has a book, it's called Falling in Love with the Bible because you're falling in love with the voice of God. God is not only teaching me, God is correcting me, God is counseling me, God is speaking to me, God is encouraging me as I read the Bible. I love it. You gotta love it. And then, you know, it's not hard. And then, you know, I know we have a fallen nature that doesn't want to read the Bible. We have a fallen nature that doesn't want to pray, that doesn't want to worship, that doesn't want to go to church. And it'll fight you tooth and nail. But have you realized that as you get there, and once you're there, have you guys experienced the blessing of it? So just know objectively that if you can get there subjectively, you will be blessed. And so you delight in it, and therefore you meditate in it day and night. You know, it's interesting, uh, meditation. I don't know if you guys are, are, are do, you, do you meditate, you know? And uh, probably a lot of you here, maybe you don't. Maybe you're afraid of it. Maybe you think it's an Eastern practice. And, you know, the Eastern religions, they do have that. They they, what they want to do, and they've got these postures, and they've got these uh, Hinduistic mantras that they learn. They're actually words that come from Hinduism. They believe that if you empty yourself, what you do is you clutter, you get, away, you get rid of all the clutter, and then you can realize your own uh, deity. You know, the, you know, you get these quantum leaps when you realize you know, that you're God. That's what they think, right? And so Christians, therefore, run from it, 
But, but meditation is not emptying ourselves and trying to you know, take some type of quantum leap. Meditation is filling our minds with the Word of God. You know, and that's what we need to do. We need to meditate in the Scriptures. You know, I think we have a couple of pictures here. Oh, this guy right here is meditating in the Word. And, um, and, and so, you know, you're reading it, uh, and meditation is like you're talking to yourself about it. You know, you're reading it over and over again, and, you know, you're asking God to show you, you know, how it applies to your life. Uh, you're not just checking the list, I read the chapter, but you're really meditating on it. Uh, I always think of the illustration of how a, a cow chews its cud, and I think we actually have a picture of a cow, a cow. Uh, chewing their cud, or at least, you know, that looks kind of like the Bible, huh? The grass right there. <laughs> you know, and uh, cows, I don't know if you realize this, they spend nearly eight hours of every day chewing their cud. Think about that. Eight hours every day chewing their cud. This plus normal chewing of food totals up to 40,000 jaw movements every single day. You know, and so you guys know cattle are, are, are ruminant animals, and that means their stomach contains four compartments. And when a cow first takes a bite, it chews just enough to moisten the food, and then the food goes into the first section, the rumen, where it mixes with the uh, acidic digestive liquids to soften, and then the cud comes back out as small uh, balls of food, and then they start chewing on it some more. Sounds kind of cool, huh? <laughs> and then um, the, it's then uh, squeezed, all the moisture is squeezed out, and then it goes into another stomach where it mixes with other digestive juices until everything is drawn out of the food that it needs. And so you'll see cows, and if they're there, you know, chewing their cud, you're going to see that he's a happy, healthy animal that produces more milk and has more uh, productivity and muscle. And I'm telling you, if you want to be blessed, you're going to have to meditate in the Word. You can't do that in five minutes, my friend. You can't do that by giving God the leftovers anymore. I think that you guys are, are in a place where you know you need him. And I think there are many of you here that genuinely long for him. The question is, will you do what he has made so clear for us in order to be blessed? And that is, you've got to guard yourself against the counsel of the ungodly, and you have to just delight yourself in his word, and you have to meditate in it. Uh, day and night. Wordsby said, meditation is to your inner person what digestion is to your body. And so you make the word a part of your life and thereby you grow. You know, when your body eats the food, you know, before, from here to, you know, the place where it leaves your body, man, there's a lot going on there and it's just taking, absorbing everything that it needs. That's what we need as we're meditating. That kind of helps our digestive system. Uh, I wrote something down right here. Ah, here it is. It says, uh, digestion is important for breaking down food into nutrients which the body uses for energy, growth, and cell repair. You know, the reason why I think sometimes people don't get blessed is because they don't break it down. You know, they read it, and they're like, okay, you know, let's go to Lampost Pizza. I mean, it's just like, no, man, break it down, you know, Lord, make it a part of my life. Let me assimilate it. 
Because I know, Lord, that it's not just reading it. It's, it's this whole aspect of meditation that's going to make a difference. Uh, and, and that meditation should then lead to observation, which is also known as obedience. And again, what God does is he blesses, he promises to graciously bless obedience. As a matter of fact, we have the illustration here that it ends up becoming a tree. Was, we're like a tree. Notice again where we read in, in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. You know, and so here you have a guy, and we have a, a visual here, of this beautiful tree, you know, planted by the river, the perpetual supply of the resources that are necessary from God, its fruit in its season, no withering leaves, and, and whatever he does shall prosper. And you know, I'm not necessarily saying that that's a physical promise, although there might be something to that. Um, I like what John said in 3 John 1, 2. He said, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things, and be in health just as your soul prospers. I mean, I'm not, you know, health, wealth, and prosperity guy. I'm not, you know, like some of those guys on TV, Benny Hinn, but there are times when some people are sick because they're in sin. Not always. You know, as a matter of fact, I'd say majority of the time it's just because we live in a fallen world and fallen bodies. But you got to understand that you know, there is this promise of prosperity that God gives to us. So Joshua 1.8, it says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do. There's that ob obedience. According to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You know, so it, it, it shows its fruit in its season. You know, I think of Joseph and uh, he prospered, the Bible says in Genesis 39, 2 and 3, and Genesis 39, 23, and it says, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. But it wasn't until, you know, he went through all the trials that he went through, right? 17 years old, he gets, you know, sold into slavery, and, you know, he's there in Potiphar's house, eventually he goes into prison, but at the age of 30 years old, eventually, and what ends up happening is God prospers him in the sense that now it's his season. It's his season, huh? You know, uh, we know that uh, Moses was 80 years old. I was thinking of Pastor Chuck and all the things that he went through. It wasn't really until mid-40s, maybe late 40s, where Calvary Chapel really started, you know, to grow and get blessed. I mean, there is a season for every tree and there is a season for us as well. As we continue to follow the Lord, then God will bless. Abraham was 100. A lot of you guys probably can't wait till you're 100, right? <laughs> so let's close. Notice what we read in the, in the last two verses again. We have the godly man and then the ungodly man. And look what happens here. It says in verse 4, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. 
So this psalm, this first psalm is so important. You know, wanting to be blessed, wanting to be godly, and wanting to guard ourselves against the, the ungodly. Literally in the Hebrew language, it says the ungodly, not so, not so. It says like they're like the, the chaff. And so you guys know what would happen. They would have the wheat, they would, you know, you know, they would take it in, and then they would thresh it, and they would throw it up in the air. There would be a winnowing fan, or the, or the wind would blow, and all the other part of the wheat, the outskirts of it, and the sticks and things like that, it, was, it, was, it would just be blown away. It says that, that's what's going on with the ungodly. You know, eventually that winnowing fan will come in and the ungodly will not stand before the judgment of Jesus Christ. They will not make it to the final destination of heaven. They will not live in the congregation of the righteous. You know, it's a real simple summary you know, I think most of you here are Christians, uh, but I would say, you know, you got to abide in the Lord, man. You got to stay close to Him because there is just, there's just two places. You know, when I was in the world, I used to listen to a song by Black Sabbath called Heaven and Hell. Even they knew it. Even they knew it that there's heaven and there's hell. And what God is saying right here is, man, you got to do things according to His Word. You know, you don't want to be like the ungodly. You know, they're going with the flow of the world, the counsel of the culture, and then they're standing in those paths of unrighteousness or sitting in the seat of the scornful. You know, what we want to do is we want to be, like it says here, the righteous. You know, if you get a chance, I encourage you, uh, read Revelation 20, verse 11, all the way through Revelation 21, verse 8. And I, I do encourage you, if you can, we're... Uh, we don't have a lot of time, but it's just so simple the way that the Bible says one day everybody's going to stand before God at the judgment seat, and if your name is not written in the book of life, you'll be cast into the lake of fire. But then it goes on to say in chapter 21, this wonderful place where we will dwell with God forever. You see, it's just the, the two places, the two types, you know. We see here the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And what that is, is it carries the idea of God's intimacy with the godly, leading them, guiding them, taking care of them, all the way home, which is another blessing. Uh, if you think about it, you know, I remember when Ariel, uh, my daughter, first got her license. I'll never forget, um, just when she first started driving, what we would do, um, I don't know if it was legal or not, but is that she would just she would call us up and she would have the phone on speaker and the whole way that she would be driving, you know, from here to home or wherever it was, you know, we'd be talking to her, you okay? You okay? She, you know, I wish I, what, what street are you on now, okay? Oh, I'm by, you know, the Union 76 or whatever, you know? And I mean, it was the whole way there was the communication because, you know, she knew, she was at that place where, you know, I guess she felt she needed us and, and we definitely wanted to, to be there for her. It's like that with God. That's what this verse right here says. It says, the Lord knows the way of the godly. But then it, 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 it then flips over and says, but not the ungodly. Because those that don't want God in their life, he'll honor their decision. And that's what this psalm, it starts off with. I mean, do you want the Lord in your life? Do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to be blessed? That's what this psalm talks about. 
and he puts music to it, and he makes them sing it. I thought about singing it. As a matter of fact, I was going to see if Angel would just sing it tonight. You know, just sing it, bro, for us. And so, you know, you give it a melody so that people would remember this because God himself is saying this is how important these truths are. And so in looking at this right here, I guess at the end of the day, what we find is that there are two ways. It's the way of blessing and the way of cursing. It's the way of death and the way of life. You know, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, Moses said, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. You know, in Bible history, it seems to be built around the concept of these two ways, like two types of men, whether it's Cain and Abel, Ishmael and Isaac, Esau and Jacob, David and Saul, Christ and the Antichrist, God or the devil. Which do you choose? Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that your sin separates you from God and you need a Savior? Do you know that Jesus died for you on the cross and rose again? And do you know that if you place your faith in him, that you are the righteous, that you are the godly, and that's all you have to do? You know, it's a message really in Psalm 1 that says, you know, which will you choose? It even is a message that says, would you be willing to be part of the church? Yes or no? Because you know what the church is? The church is a people who are called out of the world and into the word. And that's what this psalm is all about. Get out of the world. Get out of the counsel of the ungodly. Get away from the friends that they they really don't know the word and they really don't care with the love of God and get into the church. Start studying his word. Start meditating on it. Don't just give God a a couple of minutes, man. Start meditating in it. No matter who you are, no matter what you've gone through. We have guys, I remember in Cambodia, they they were just so messed up, man. I mean, the drugs, the, the demons. They didn't need to go to a, a, some secular counselor. They didn't need... You know, to go see that type of doctor. They didn't need medication. This is all they needed. And what, you know, they would do, they bring him into the water of life and they would just sit down and they would just say, Rin, and here, just read the Bible. You just read the Bible. You know, Dale Goddard, I can tell you so many guys, that's all they had to do. You just read the Bible. Meditate on it. Get into it. Let it get into you. You know, get out of the world and get into the word and you watch what God will do. You know, it's so important. I pray we would never forget this passage, this chapter, and that we would immediately put these things into practice. And so which do you choose? The ungodly or the godly? The world or the word? The Bible to be a duty or a delight? You know, conventional reading or meditational reading, the wheat or the chaff, we must choose, Christ or Antichrist. I pray that today, you know, we would choose Christ. You know, it's cool. Uh, Why don't we have the musicians come forward? You know, I was thinking about, like, all the songs that I've learned over the years and how they, you know, they, I don't know, they, they just... When it's really the Lord, those songs, they stick. 
How many of you guys here remember the days before they did PowerPoint where you would remember the words because you were kind of forced to? And now what's happened is we got lazy, you know, because we're reading the lyrics. And so I'm sure Angel would say the same thing. Close your eyes. Worship God. And, and memorize those words because that's what the psalms are all about, right? Singing songs so that they can memorize those truths and those great hymns. You know, in closing, I remember this hymn, How Great Thou Art. And a lot of you guys know that, 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 that hymn. And I was even thinking with all the stars that we saw today and the planets. It says, O oh Lord my God. Remember that hymn? When I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. When I see the stars and the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. But then when he goes down in the next stanza, and this is what I want to close, listen to this, listen to these words. And when I think that God, his Son, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in that on that cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin. You know, and we memorize songs like that. We take in truths like that and God transforms our life. My prayer is that as we go through the Psalms that we would do that, that God would bless you.